Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guests. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to set up a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also, visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com, or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the 9th Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. The more I read and study the Bible and the, the older I get, the more I'm grateful for and amazed by a lot of things. One of those things is the plan that God put in place for His church. And among those things is included what we often refer to as the organization of the church. I suppose that Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1 is the passage that may be used more often than any other to show the organization of the church just in one very simple, short place. As Paul opened that very joyful letter, and he addressed it to all the saints, there are the Christians, in Christ Jesus who were at Philippi, with the overseers, there are the elders, and the deacons. Recently I read a book from the 1950s that dealt with elders and deacons in the church. In fact, that was the title of the book, basically. Just a look at elders and deacons in the church. It was a very, what you might call, informational-type book, uh, very well-researched. And it was supposed to look at God's plan for the church as far as organization, obviously looking at elders, then looking at deacons. What I found very interesting about it was that of the 250-ish pages in that book, 50 dealt with deacons. 200 dealt with elders. Now, that's not to say that there shouldn't be some more time spent on elders and those sorts of things, but a book that called itself about elders and deacons, a fifth of the book is all there was about the role of deacons. Deacons are wonderful people. Our one word for this week is the word deacons, and I think it's appropriate that we consider that word. As we go through these one words on Sunday night, because deacons are absolutely vital to the life and the the vitality and the efficiency of the work of the church. Now, there is a sense in which every Christian should be a deacon of of sorts. Now, not in the official or biblical sense as far as wearing the title, but the word from which we get our word deacon just simply means a servant. And we know that all Christians are to be servants. And so there's a sense in which all of us are deacons in that way. But we also know that there is a very special sense in which God has ordained for the organization of His church that there are men who will wear that title, fulfill that role of deacon in a very special and very important way. And that's what we're thinking about tonight. When we read that scripture reading tonight from 1 Timothy chapter 3, and if you open your Bible back there, you'll have basically our outline right there before you, you may have thought that we're going to spend our time thinking about those qualifications of deacons. And that's a very important study. And one we never need to just forget is there. But what's interesting is, very often, the only time we discuss deacons in a sermon, or the only time, more specifically, we think about those qualifications of those who will fulfill that role of deacon, is when we're going to appoint deacons or appoint more deacons. So far as I know, that's not the case. It just happens to be our one word for this week. Now, we never want to just forget that those qualifications are there, and we're going to reference them later in this lesson. But instead of looking tonight at the qualifications for a deacon, going through all that, that long list, 
What I want to do is focus our attention tonight on that very last verse we read a few minutes ago, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13, and think more about the evaluation of deacons. How can we know if those who wear that title are doing what God would have them to do in His plan for the church? In all things, our standard must be Scripture. And I think when we look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13, we see a way in which we can evaluate deacons, but also a way in which we can encourage our deacons. But we have to understand what this role is. Folks, deacons are not junior elders. Deacons are not trying out to be elders. They're not trying to climb some sort of corporate ladder to become elders. On the other side of the coin... Deacons, a deacon is also not just some kind of title that's given to someone with no work attached to it. This is a very important and vital work. And that's why it's separated out in the qualifications. There's qualifications for elders and then qualifications for deacons. But tonight I want us to think about evaluating them. And I think in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 13, we can find three things that will help us as we both evaluate and encourage those men who serve us as deacons. Number one... Deacons must serve. Now, it really comes down to this one question. Is a deacon doing what that title or that word implies? At the outset of our lesson, I mentioned that the word deacon, at its most basic level, just means a servant. But W.E. Vine, his word study, adds that, that that word means a servant, but then he adds these words, without particular reference to its character. That's very dictionary, kind of a cold definition, but here's what you see in that. In other words, it's a man who just serves. He's not concerned about how much of a type of fame he might gain from it, how much he might get from this. I like what Brother Tom Holland wrote several years ago. He wrote a book entitled Encouraging Deacons. And as he opened that book about deacons, he stated that if deacons really understood even what that word really meant, special servant, that they would find encouragement just from having that title, that office, that role, whatever you want to call it. They would find encouragement just in having that, the understanding, I should say, of that name. Now, we understand that all Christians are to serve. We serve because our Lord was a servant. In Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45, Jesus lays out a contrast, and then he lays out his own character. He said, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And then he said, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You might also think of Matthew chapter 23 and verse 11, where Jesus very simply stated, The greatest among you shall be your servant. And a verse we referenced near the end of our lesson this morning, Paul would write in Ephesians chapter, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, that we're to do good to all, but especially to those who have the household of faith. And so we know that all of us are to be serving God and serving other people. But deacons are called by the gospel to a very special place of service. They're to be serving the church 
in such a way that there is a meaningful, tangible, noticeable difference made as various ministries are led or programs are more efficient or needs are met. Sometimes we might think of the the physical needs, if you will, of a congregation. Those things are taken care of so that then the elders are freed up to be more effective in their God-given role of shepherding and feeding the flock and teaching and overseeing and stewarding. And so we need to ask, is a deacon serving? Now that falls into a couple of ways of evaluation. One way it falls is, was the deacon ever given a task to do at the, at the beginning? It is not just an honorary title. You might think of Acts chapter 6. where We often talk about those first deacons, the church at Jerusalem. And you recall there was a very specific need that was being missed. Those widows were not being fed. They were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Those widows who were of Grecian descent or Hellenistic descent. And so there was a very specific need that was given. I want to challenge our elders for our deacons as well as those who we might appoint in the future at some point. Do we really have a work for them to do? Or is it just an honorary title? There has to be a work so that we can evaluate, are they serving? But then once a man is a deacon, is he serving? Is he living up to those expectations, that role that is placed before him in that task? Deacons must serve. But Paul goes on in the second place to say, it's not just service, but deacons, number two, must serve well. For those who serve well as deacons... He says in that verse, 1 Timothy 3 and verse 13, that very little word, well, is a beautiful word. It obviously means just that, and it's translated as the word well more than any other. But the word also carries with it the idea of beautifully. It carries with it the idea of commendably. It's a word that has the idea behind it that a a person does this work to such a degree, to such a level, that there's no room of blame. That's a pretty lofty standard, isn't it? A deacon who serves to that level, beautifully, commendably, where there is no blame because of the work that he is doing in that role. But when we understand the deacon's God-given role within the organization of the church, I think we understand why God would use that little word, well, but why he would use a very powerful word there, because their role is so very important. Besides knowing their specific area of service, how can we know if a deacon is serving well? Brother Albie Johnson, who held our summer meeting a couple of years ago, literally wrote a book about deacons called Dynamic Deacons. Some of you have that book. I have it. I've enjoyed it. It's a very short book. It'll be about 90 pages. But near the beginning of that book, he shares three questions about deacons that I think all of us can use to see if a man is fulfilling that role. And the questions are his, and then I filled in some other information. Question number one, he says, is, is this deacon a selfless leader who serves the church? You know, to be a true servant, to be a true deacon takes selflessness. The heart has to be right. And you think about the ways in which deacons are utilized in the organization of the church. Sometimes a man might be asked to, to lead a, a ministry that's of great importance in the congregation or a program that's of great importance to the congregation. Sometimes a man might be asked to, to have, if you please, pass through his hands a great deal of money. And sometimes what comes with that could be, if a man's heart isn't right, a great deal of pride and selfishness. Look at the ministry I lead. Look what I'm doing compared to the other deacons. That is never the heart of one who is a true servant. A true servant doesn't think that way. If he's serving well, his heart is on serving others not to make a name for himself or how large his role is when compared with other deacons. I think one of the major questions 
that every man who ever serves as a deacon should ask himself regularly and should take before God humbly in prayer is this question. How can I better help the church move forward through my humble service? Whether it's corresponding with a missionary on foreign soils or repairing a broken air conditioner, asking that one question will help make certain if a heart is right. Am I helping the church move forward through humble service? If we see a man who is wanting some kind of following or who is always clamoring for some kind of recognition, he's not serving well. But if we see a man who is simply selfless, that's a good sign. Question one, is he a selfless leader? Question two from Brother Johnson, is he a steady leader, one who supports his elders? We've already said this at least once, maybe a couple of times, that when deacons fulfill their role, elders should find it easier, it's not easy, but easier to do what the Scriptures teach that they are to be doing, shepherding, tending the flock, and so on and so forth, overseeing the work. Deacons can support elders through hard work, through kind words, through making sure that they're staying deacons and not trying to become elders without the title. But for that to occur, there has to be regular, open, honest, and deep communication. And it needs to flow both ways. Elders need to share both expectations and encouragement, often with deacons. They don't need to appoint a man to be a deacon and then never talk to him again, leaving him to just sort of twist in the wind and see, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Because if there's no communication, number one, the work's not going to get done, but also that man can feel as if his work is insignificant. But also, deacons need to be regular in speaking with the elders, showing them encouragement and reporting on the progress of the work. Now, elders should never be micromanagers. There is a separation. Elders have a role and deacons have a role. So, so elders are not micromanagers, but one of the roles of elders is to be an overseer, And elders cannot oversee a work if they never see the work. If we see a man who gets along with the elders, who speaks highly of them, who gives them encouragement, and who's willing to be open with them, we have a good indication that he's doing his work well. But if we see a man who does not want to meet with or correspond with the elders, who speaks ill of them, especially if they're not around, or who says things that could be construed as stirring up resentment or strife toward the shepherds, We know he's not serving well. Is he a steady leader, one who supports his elders? Question three, is he a spiritual leader, one who shows Christ-likeness? I've heard people say throughout my life and read several times in my life that the role of deacons is about the physical side of the church while the role of elders is about the spiritual side of, of the church. I don't think that's true at all because we're told in the New Testament at least once that all we do is to be the glory to the glory of God and in the name of Christ. But I know what people mean when they say that. Deacons quite often are involved in more sort of hands-on, process-oriented stuff from time to time. But if we are not careful, we can take that to an extreme to basically say a man needs to be spiritual as he's qualified to be a deacon. But once he becomes a deacon, he can just kind of do whatever he wants to do. I'm not worried about being a spiritual man whatsoever. But we need to remember those qualifications that precede the verse we're using as we study tonight. They do not say that a man needs to have these qualities in order to become a deacon, and then he can be whatever kind of person he wants to be after he becomes a deacon. For a man to become a deacon, and then for a man to remain qualified as a deacon, he must have those qualities. And really, other than the family qualities, being married and having children, the rest of them are simply qualities that show Christ-likeness. Things like dignity, 
honesty in speech, being blameless. Those types of things show that these are men who are continuing to be faithful and continuing to be Christ-like throughout the time that they serve. If we see a man who has Christ in his heart, and a man who we see Christ through his actions, if nothing is beneath him, but he's willing to serve in whatever area is necessary in order to bring glory to God and help the church move forward, he's serving well. Those three questions. Is he serving well? And so to evaluate and encourage deacons, we to say a deacon must serve. A deacon must serve well. And then number three, a deacon must grow in their confidence in the faith. Did you notice the rest of verse 13? These men gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, as a man proves himself as a deacon, we respect him more. And he grows more in love with Jesus. Because he begins to realize even more deeply that service is the way of a Christian. And that person will gain more confidence and more love, so much so that he will not be afraid to defend the faith and stand firm for it. You think about those men we often call the first deacons, again in Acts chapter 6. There's seven of them. Most of them we don't know very much about except that it's listed there. But in that time they were appointed as deacons, if that's what they were specifically, there was a specific need, and we could look at it and say, that's just not that big of a deal, distributing some food to a specific group of people. And yet if you keep reading the book of Acts, what do these men become? Acts chapter 7 is Stephen, one of those deacons who was a good man. Acts 6 tells us, full of faith in the Holy Spirit. But now in Acts chapter 7, this deacon is the one who's standing for the faith, defending the faith, and literally dying for the faith. Acts chapter 8, it's Philip. The one who was just serving Grecian widows in Acts chapter 6. One of seven. One him over the whole program by himself. Just one-seventh of the organizational structure of this. And now in Acts chapter 8, what's he doing? He's going to Samaria and teaching, basically holding a gospel meeting, preaching and teaching, converting one who had been a magician, Simon the sorcerer, and then more famously being taken by the Spirit and teaching the Ethiopian eunuch, the Ethiopian nobleman, and teaching him the gospel. Have you ever considered the fact it's because of a deacon that the gospel went to the continent of Africa for the first time? Philip. You see, these men, when they became deacons, they were good men. The qualifications were given. These were good men. But at first, quote-unquote, all they did was distribute food. But they grew in their confidence in the faith. That's what we should see. However long a man serves as a deacon, we should see that. The Bible does not give us, by the way, specifics of how long a man is supposed to serve as a deacon. That's up to the discretion of the elders and the congregation. Some, some suggest it's sort of a, a lifetime appointment, or at least until the person resigns or something. Or others suggest it's more until uh, a certain need is met. It depends on the specific needs, the elder's discretion. There may be certain tasks that require a deacon to fulfill a role, but it only takes a couple of years or so, and then that task is done, that need is met, that ministry is, is doing fine, and that person may not be a deacon any longer. But it may be something that's more perpetual, ongoing, basically lifetime in, in a certain way. And I say that not to bring up any controversy or any question, but to say this. 
No matter how long a man serves as a deacon, whether it's a few years fulfilling some particular specific ministry or for decades as he serves as a deacon over some program or ministry for basically a lifetime, we should be able to look back over the years of service that man has fulfilled and see that, yes, he was qualified, he was faithful when he began, but he is even more confident in the faith now. He loves Jesus more now because of his service and through his service. And, more, and he is more bold in his faith because of what he's done. It's not an arrogant thing. It's a way that see, sees that service is truly greatness. And the Bible really is what people need. And whatever I have to do, if you please, I'm going to do it to make certain that the elders can fulfill their role and members can be involved in the great work of the church. A deacon must grow in his confidence in the faith. I think we're blessed here at Ninth Avenue. Haywee Dobbs and Brian Fortenberry and James Gaskin and Bruce Hood and Mac McAlpine and Jamie White and Sin Williams. These men serve us in various areas as deacons. And a lot of these areas go unnoticed, very much behind the scenes. But they are so important to the life, to the vitality, to the effectiveness, to the efficiency of the congregation. In just a moment, we'll extend the Lord's invitation, as we always do at the end of the lesson. We felt it would be appropriate tonight, since we're thinking about deacons, to have one of our elders lead us in a prayer to think about our deacons and to encourage them. And I've asked Brother Gary Mize earlier today if he would lead us in that prayer, and he graciously agreed to do that. So, Brother Gary, if you would come at this time, he's going to lead from the table, if you guys will make sure that's, that's unmuted. And let's pray as we think about our deacons and about us encouraging them. Pray with me, please. Almighty God, our Father in heaven, your word is true. We're thankful, Father, for the proclaiming of it today. Two wonderful lessons that we have understood and believed. We're grateful for them, Father. Thankful for Adam and his ability to bring them to us. Father, we are so thankful that your word teaches us about the organization of the church. We're thankful, Father, for those deacons that we have. Brother Haley, James, Mac, Brian, Sin, Jamie, Bruce. We're thankful, Father, for their willingness to serve. We're thankful, Father, for their simple work thankful, Father, for what they have meant to our congregation and the task that they have performed and the help that they have brought to all of us. We ask your blessings upon them this evening, Father. We're just so so thankful that they are unselfish men, dedicated to service, dedicated to their individual ministries. Just grateful, Father, that they are willing to offer care to us, that they are faithful men, that they serve well. Father, we're also thankful for those who have served as deacons in the past. We're thankful, Father, for the work that they have done for this congregation. Bless them, Father. And we're mindful of those other men in our congregation even now 
that would consider the work of a deacon. We pray, Father, for their willingness to read your word, study your word, being willing to step up to the plate and become an able deacon for this congregation in the future. We pray, Father, for that maturity that is sure to come their way. Thank you, Father. Bless these men. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We said earlier in the lesson, in fact a couple of times, that there is a sense in which all of us are deacons. We know not in the wearing the title way, but that all of us are servants or should be servants. In fact, the Bible makes it clear that to become a Christian, we must humble ourselves. And then to live as a Christian, simply to be a servant. To serve God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to serve or love others as ourselves. These men who serve as deacons, we should be able to look to them and say, they're not perfect, but they're men who do that and who helps, help us see that that's what it means to be a Christian, to serve. But the ultimate example of that, of course, is Christ. The one who we read earlier said, he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus did not just serve He gave everything he had so that we could be servants. And the question tonight for all of us to answer is, am I following his example? Have I become a Christian in the first place? And I would venture to say that on Sunday night, those of us who are here, the vast majority, if not all of us who are of age, have. But if you haven't, let's make certain we do that tonight. But by contacting his blood in the waters of baptism based upon our faith and our repentance and confession. But for those of us who are Christians, are we living in such a way that someone could look at us and say, that's a servant, that's one who just serves? Because on that great judgment day, what is it we want to hear our Lord say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Folks, that's what it's all about, serving God and serving others. And tonight, as a Christian, are you living that way? As a servant, putting Him first and others before yourself. If not, we'd love to pray with you, to encourage you, to lift you up, or to ask for forgiveness in your behalf as such as necessary. But tonight, if you're not a Christian, or if you're not a faithful Christian, we invite you to come, we stand and sing to encourage you.